Hello and welcome to the Shindig podcast, a podcast about archaeology by the Red River Archaeology Group. I'm Dr. Tom Horn and I'm the presenter and I'm here with our ace producer, Luke Barry. Hi guys. Um, today's topic's really interesting. It's kind of a rare insight into the world of major mega projects, infrastructure projects, and this is the M28 Court to Ringus Kiddy road project and we were very fortunate to be joined by um, Trish Long um, from Rubicon Heritage, uh, also Ed Line from Cork County Council and Ken Hanley from Transport Infrastructure Ireland and that was brilliant because it allows us to see from the Rubicon perspective, you know, the, the actual, the, the boots on the ground, the archaeology that's happening uh, and with Ed we get the county level interest and management of the project and with with ken and transport infrastructure island you get the the national view of um, how these projects run so um we hope you'll find it as really as fascinating as as we did and you'll get a real insight into what developer nationally funded archaeology is bringing to to you and to the local communities through which these projects are occurring yeah, this was a great one for me to sit in on because I started work with this company maybe just over six months ago, seven months ago. And I, like many people in the public, wasn't really aware of what commercial archaeology did or the importance of it necessarily. So to get to hear that from three people like, like Trish, like Ed and like Ken is incredible. And to see the um, they come from varying viewpoints on this, uh, but they all still have this love for what they're finding and and uh, they, they, they all can see how important it is really yeah and that that's that's the thing you get the sense that you know we're, we're all looking at things at different scale and ourselves and our partners mm-hmm. at tevis ireland you know while, while we are actually digging the trenches that there's an equal amount of interest further up the the chain you get at county and, yeah. and national level and that interest and that 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 genuine care for the the archaeology and, and the communities through which these projects are going it really really shines through yeah, it is. it's super important and super interesting. So uh, there's nothing left to do than to send you over to Tom's interview with Trish Long, Ed Line and Ken Hanley. Hope you enjoy. I'm Trish Long and I'm the Senior Archaeologist for Rubicon Heritage on the Scheme. My name is Ken Hanley and I'm the uh, Project Archaeologist with Transport Infrastructure Ireland. And I'm Ed Line, I'm the uh, Resident Archaeologist on the project for Cork County Council. The M28 Cork to Ringeskiddy project comprises 12.5 kilometres of new roads that will be built between Cork City and the tip of the Ringeskiddy Peninsula. The project is being progressed by Cork County Council on behalf of Transport Infrastructure Ireland. As with all new road schemes, the archaeological impact is carefully considered and archaeological fieldwork in advanced construction is being carried out by Rubicon Heritage, part of the Red River Archaeology Group, in partnership with Tevis Ireland. The scheme runs adjacent to the existing N28 for much of its length, passing through many townlands. The undulating terrain is well-drained and fertile, that, combined with its location on the edge of Cork Harbour, would have been attractive to human settlers throughout the ages. Thank you for coming here today. Um, could each of you just describe, if you have one, as a favourite artefact or, or archaeological feature that you've discovered today? I know it's quite early in the, the process, but just anything that's made you sort of look at the area differently or it's just been interesting in and of itself as, as an artefact? Um, I, I suppose we have one showstopper site in that we had um, a number of early medieval enclosures in the townland of Barney Healy 
I was it was kind of known about in advance of the of the groundwork starting because it had been seen on geophysical surveys, and um, we've had three very large enclosures there. But there's also on the same um, site there's prehistoric archaeology and post medieval archaeology as well. So it's been just a really interesting site. Um, really large scale. The ditches in the enclosures have been up to five meters wide in places, and they've been rock cut at the base. So it's been a huge uh, operation to hand excavate them. Um, it took uh, in the bones of a year to do it, um, so we've just recently finished. But there's been a, a lot of lovely artefacts come out of that uh, site as well. Um, they're mainly early medieval in date, so we've got a nice range of there's bone artefacts, a lot of stone, um, querns and um, metal finds then as well, which are you know very corroded, but they'd be sent off to specialists for conservation and stuff. So there's been a big range of stuff down there, but maybe one of my favourite artefacts. It was just an almost a stray find that came from topsoil, which is a, a lovely um, flint blade, which we think is Mesolithic in date. So um, that would be by far the oldest artifact we've, we've discovered on the scheme. And it would kind of confirm to us that there, there would have been human activity on the peninsula, you, you know, back as far as the Middle Stone Age, it could be up to 8,000 years ago. So, um, you know, it could really be the, the earliest thing we know about in, uh, in the whole of the Ringskiddy Peninsula. So I just think that's interesting from that point of view. That's that's fascinating. So yeah, it's really stretched the the, the, the history of known human habitation back potentially by, by several thousand years. So um, Ken, just the same question to you really, a sort of site or an artifact or a discovery that, that, that sort of got, got you excited and you think our listeners will be interested in? Yeah, well, I suppose in terms of sites, uh, the, the, the largest, most complex is that site, Trisha Burton, Barney Healy. It's a, it's, a, it's a series of of uh, large enclosures um, and uh, all the uh, evidence suggests that it was occupied for quite some length of time uh, and so that's a, that's a fantastic site um, so, but despite its size and despite its complexity and despite all the artifacts and so on what's, uh, what's missing from the site is any, any uh, evidence of people directly uh, but contrast that to another site we have at uh, Bally Hemmingen and here we've got some uh, prehistoric um, cremations um, and obviously they're finding sites uh, and they have to be uh, uh, dealt with uh, sensibly. But what I find fascinating is that you have a direct contact with uh, people from that period. We, we, we think these are Bronze Age burials. Uh, so there, it, there is that direct connection that these are people uh, who lived in the area, worked in the area and did their best uh, to survive in the area, just like we do every day. And uh, so I, I personally, I, I, I always find, uh, I feel a connection when I, when I see sites like those. Um, in terms of artifacts then, you know, uh, we, we live in a, a kind of a fast, shiny world where it's everything's about the biggest and, you know, fastest and best and so on, but um, our job really is about uh, understanding the mundane, uh, how do people live, how do they just use their resource and so on, um, and the the artifacts, which is a fairly common artifact uh, to, to, to be fair, but um, I find the cornerstones uh, um, fascinating because I just think they're, they're, they arrive on the scene with with uh, the arrival of agriculture in Ireland and um, they're very much about people realising how they can manipulate the environment around them and we've been doing that ever since uh, and that's uh, how we've developed uh, into the society we have today. So when you see an artefact uh, going back to the very beginnings of this early manipulation, um, it's, uh, it, just, it, just, uh, it, it just brings it forward to me that uh, um, I just find that they're, they're they're being very uh, inventive in what they're doing, and um, uh, they're they're allowing their 
they're allowed themselves to be able to store foodstuffs and because of that then they can be more sedentary rather than moving around and that allows for greater population sizes and so kickstarts the whole uh, evolution of uh, you know uh, bigger populations and, and urban uh, living uh, that would eventually come. Um, so we, we have it all on this project as I said, um, uh, Trisha listed off some of those finds but the, um, it's the uh, it's bringing it back to the people who use it and that's what, uh, that's what I find very interesting. Thank you. That's a wonderful answer. And, and uh, finally, Ed, um, just the, the site or artifact that's sort of intrigued or interested you most, please. <coughs> yeah, I suppose um, Ken and Trish have kind of stolen the, uh, the big obvious sites there, so I'm going to have to dig a little deeper. Um, no pun intended. Um, I think actually one of the most interesting sites, which is being excavated currently, is um, we have a, a Neolithic house structure being excavated in Valley Hemican currently. Uh, it's almost complete now. Um, these are relatively rare sites, although they are cropping up more and more in these large road schemes, particularly over the years. Um, but there's something special about them still. I mean, these, these are the first proper, clear domestic structures that you, you find in the archaeological record. Um, this classic kind of rectangular house structure with a footing trench and uh, post holes and so on. and um, and to go with that, I'll just, uh, as, as, as artifact of the project so far, I'm going to go with something tiny. And that is a tiny little piece of uh, quartz crystal, which has come from that structure recently. Um, it appears to be as tiny as it is. It looks to have been worked, possibly part of a projectile or something along those lines. Um, and it's just, it's, it's a tiny object, but I think um, lithics in general are something that I always find are a little bit extra special when you talk about prehistoric objects, because... The nice thing about them is that they don't tarnish, they don't rust. When you when you find a, a flint object or a quartz object, it's pretty much the same as the day it was dropped thousands of years ago. And um, that that's kind of unique almost, I suppose, in, in archaeological objects. And and then quartz crystal does seem to be something that, that is very valued in the Neolithic and, and it has some sort of either symbolic or some kind of special qualities that uh, would have you know, been it would have been um, something very special to the people at the time. We can assume that. I think uh, it's almost glass-like, and there would have been nothing else around like that at the time. So, um, yeah, I'll go with that one. Well, that's a great answer because we've uh, we filmed some of that artifact earlier today, and um, our listeners will be able to see that soon. And just for people who don't really know much about um, development and archaeology, development uh, funded archaeology, could you just tell us why are archaeologists needed on you know what is just a big construction site? Um, could you just tell us what, what your roles are? Well I suppose in general um, for any large scheme such as a road scheme such as this it would be a legal requirement that archaeology would be included as a consideration um, even as far back as when they're doing the environmental impact assessments and, and choosing the routes for the road. Um, so there's been an awful lot of work done before anybody ever hit the ground here. And um, I, I suppose specifically then Rubicon came on, on board when the field work um, began, when all the desk-based research had been done. Um, and so I've been here uh, overseeing uh, our team on the ground for the past year now. The, uh, my role as a project archaeologist really stems from a uh, code of practice that was agreed between the Transport Infrastructure Ireland and the uh, Department for what is now um, Housing, Local Government and Heritage. <clears throat> and really the code, that code set out to agree uh, that both uh, entities had responsibilities. The TI had responsibility for delivering 
national road uh, network including light rail uh, and more recently the uh, like projects like of greenways um and the department obviously had a role in protecting uh, cultural heritage so that code of practice set out a, a, a game plan in effect in terms of how um road projects and ti projects um would be uh, managed appropriately from a cultural heritage point of view. So uh, each project is assigned a project archaeologist, and our role is just to to ensure that cultural heritage is a consideration um, throughout the entire length of the project cycle, uh, from from um, initial uh, idea being conceived to delivery on the ground, um, and that's done through a very structured pro uh, process. There are obviously statutory processes that the schemes go through in terms of getting planning approval. And um, cultural heritage is part of that in terms of the general environmental considerations. Uh, and stemming from those, uh, there would be certain uh, commitments made in terms of how cultural heritage would be dealt with on a, on a project. Um, and if a scheme is approved um, by, uh, uh, say, let's say on board panel or whatever planning mechanism, uh, then those commitments um, uh, have to be honoured. And uh, my role would be to ensure on behalf of Transport, uh, um, um, Transport and Structure Ireland and uh, the, in my case Cork County Council <coughs> ensure that they, uh, they, are, they are delivered on the ground. So what uh, Cork County Council uh, would do on a typical project as, as client for the project would commission um, uh, archaeologists uh, to come in and carry out certain investigations to honour the list of commitments that were agreed to as part of the, uh, the planning. Uh, and in this case... Um, County Council held a, a competition, uh, a quality-based competition, um, and that was the idea of it being a quality-led competition. Was that we wanted quality to be at the forefront of what was being uh, what was being done. So uh, Rubicon Heritage Services um, uh, put in a, a very strong uh, submission and fought off some stiff competition and were awarded a contract. Um, and uh, I'm glad to say we're a year into that contract now, uh, and things are progressing very well. Excellent. Thank you very much. And Ed, can you tell us a little bit about uh, your role in the project, please? Yeah, so I'm the uh, County Council's um, archaeologist uh, for the project um, and for roads in general in the county. So I'm sort of, a, I suppose, a link in many ways between Rubicon on the one side and um, Ken for Transport Infrastructure Ireland on the other side, but also between the Council's team of engineers and the archaeology. So um, I'm the one who has the, the fun job of, of making the engineers understand the needs of the archaeologists and why it's important. And uh, but but also um, in a serious note, you know, looking to what is coming down the tracks in terms of other advanced works packages on the ground and where there's potential conflicts with the archaeology work. Just making sure that everything sort of uh, hopefully works out. That that the timing of everything is such that um, the archaeology can be done. Um, so you know we're we're linking with with uh, Trish and Rubicon all the time. You know as priorities change and things have to be front loaded or moved around. Um, and then day to day, I'd be just you know visiting the excavations and just uh, seeing how Rubicon are getting on and seeing if there's anything they need from from our side either. So. Thank you very much. Now a year ago, um, you all very kindly gave up your time to discuss the beginning of the archaeological mitigation process and you express your hopes for the future. Um, I know our listeners and the communities of County Cork will be interested to know something about the discoveries of the last 12 months. And I'll begin with, with, with Ken. Ken, you hoped that we'd gain new insights into the archaeology of the region. What are, if you can say at this stage, some of the things we've learned since the, the last podcast? 
Uh, yeah, well, I suppose there's, there's two parts that really, um, if you think of any kind of, you know, regional or even national or international, uh, you know, study of, 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 of an archaeology, it all really um, depends on the, the quality of the original source material that's excavated. Um, so along this project, um, the Rubicomer brought in to do archaeological uh, test trenching, um, and on basis of that, then they identified uh, about 131 areas of archaeological potential. Now, just for purely management purposes, we've consolidated that 131 areas into uh, what we've designated now as 38 sites. You know, we could have consolidated them into a different number, into 48 or 24, but the number uh, that seemed to make sense was to, to consolidate them into that number. So, um, but the, the archaeology of the uh, Ringeskiddy Peninsula, in terms of prior excavation, is fairly scant. Um, there's been some work around the uh, the uh, Cargilline area, um, but on the this kind of peninsula area itself, there hasn't been a whole lot. So, in effect, uh, you know, almost everything that Rubicon have um, discovered uh, in advance of the uh, construction works uh, to date uh, is new archaeology from our, our perspective. So, the key thing um, uh, about that is it gives us an opportunity to excavate these uh, sites in a, in, a, in, a, in a modern way, uh, to a modern uh, and a high uh, scientific standard. Um, and by giving that robustness uh, in terms of the excavation, you know that robustness in terms of the, the dating that we get and so on, uh, that um, will provide the platform then for future uh, studies and so on. Um, and oftentimes what happens is that uh, over time, as, uh, as all this inf new information is digested, um, uh, by others, um, then a more fuller picture emerges over time in terms of the the regional study. So we're very much at the early days in terms of of understanding what the significance of everything we have is. Um, but certainly from what we've seen to date, and we've only we haven't excavated, uh, we haven't even got halfway to our our sites yet in terms of full excavation. Uh, but we certainly found some very interesting sites to date, uh, some of which we had some prior uh, knowledge of by other investigations like geophysical serving and so on, but others have been uh, newly discovered by uh, by the testing. Um, and uh, so, as you might expect, on a project like this, a linear infrastructure project, you, you effectively have to dig what you find. Uh, it's not like a research excavation where you kind of cherry pick a target. Um, so we find sites that might be single event sites, like uh, you know, a single cremation, uh, to larger settlement complexes uh, that were occupied for much longer periods and so on, and um, have much more complex archaeology. And we have that full spectrum, e e even with only half the sites excavated so far. Uh, so I suppose the answer is that it's it's still early days in terms of the significance of all this, but uh, everyone on site is hard at work uh, trying to ensure that the robustness um, uh, in terms of the recording quality and sampling quality and so on is uh, at the highest level so that uh, we can have confidence then in our in our interpretations and, and conclusions and so on. Um, Ed, on the podcast last year, you, you were looking forward to absolutely everything. Um, um, where we are now in the process, um, how far along are we informing, I think you wanted a sort of digestible story about the land being investigated? Um, I suppose, uh, as uh, Ken alluded to there, it, it is still relatively early in the process. I mean, we have uh, less than half of the excavation work carried out to date. Um, and even where sites are finished, we'd be at a very preliminary stage in terms of, you know, the documentation of the actual physical site is done. 
um, and we would obviously have uh, certain ideas about what, what we think is going on but in terms of the the follow-up work uh, it's a very early stage in terms of sample processing and looking at what's coming out of those samples so we're you know specialist involvement at this stage is, is very li limited so far and until that's done really um, you know you can't say too much about most of the sites you don't have a uh, tight dating you can go by artifacts etc but but you're still only um, you're, you're getting a kind of a glimpse of what's going on but uh, the clearer picture will emerge actually off-site really in many cases and uh, as far as you know a digestible story as I put it before that will come then after that when reports have been written and uh, and then that's all put together into publications and public uh, talks and all the rest of it. Thank you very much. Um, Trish, you weren't on the podcast last year, but you've been working on the project for a long time now. Can you tell us just a, a bit about what Rubicon Heritage has achieved over the last year and maybe a little bit about what you're working on at the moment? Yeah, sure. Well, um 2022 was a very very busy year on this scheme um so it was a really large scale scheme so there's a lot of challenges um but we're very proud that we've kind of racked up some very impressive statistics for example we, we carried out about 50,000 linear meters of trial trenching um and that would be the equivalent to digging a trench from ring Skiddy to mallow um and as ken mentioned we, we identified about 38 archaeological sites and in our preparation for the hand excavation we stripped about 100,000 square meters of topsoil so that's something people don't often realise when they visualise archaeologists with um, brushes and trowels, that there's actually very large-scale um, plant work and machinery work um, involved to remove the topsoil, so to prepare the ground for the archaeologists. Um, we've also employed about 50 people here on the scheme over the past year, about 40 archaeologists, plus a lot of subcontractors, again, plant workers and, and different specialists over the time. So all of those are kind of living in the area and contributing to the local economy. Um, we're also very proud that we've managed to achieve high quality standards throughout the work and we've scored very highly on our um, numerous audits that we have, such as our ISO um, standards and considerate constructor schemes and health and safety audits and all that kind of stuff. That's all part of the modern way of executing these projects. Um, we've also done a lot of work to, uh, to promote ourselves and to promote what we're finding here. And We've had um, one of the most enjoyable things we've had during the past year, I think, was that some of the local national schools visit us on site. And, and the crew and the children all enjoy that very much because it was a real hands-on experience for them and, um, you know, showing them the, the heritage of their own local area. And, um, of course, coming back then to the archaeology itself, um, as Ken and Ebra were mentioning, we have a great range of sites. And I think uh, even though we're only halfway through the excavation, it's, it's really exciting because it's going to be a massive contribution to what we know about the peninsula um, and uh, especially the prehistoric um, a, a, prehistoric era here where there was very little known archaeology before we started. Um, and I'm just something I'd like to investigate more about about your answer there. You're talking about this outreach element of it and could you just say a little bit more about what Rubicon and the Red River Group have been have been doing in terms of outreach and how that's changed and what, what we're trying to achieve with that and then I'll, I'll go around the, the table and just ask about that aspect of outreach and, and, and really engaging with the community. Yeah, I suppose um, I've been working on these kind of road schemes for 15 or more years and um, I think the advances in technology has, has made it possible for us to do a lot more outreach as we're on the ground so people don't have to wait anymore for the, you know, a, a great publication to come out um, many years more finished excavation. Now we have social media, we have podcasts um, and we have lots of other ways of promoting ourselves. So we've done um, quite a lot of that and the TII have um, 
made it a kind of an element of our, our contract submissions, our tender submissions, um, that we have to kind of present a plan for how we're going to disseminate the work. Um, so we have a number of commitments under the contract that we've been carrying through with the past year. And as part of that, we've had, as I mentioned, um, the school, vi- school visits on site have also gone out to a number of schools. Um, myself and Ed went down to the Cargilline, um local community school here, and we have the Ringeskiddy and Shan Valley National Schools. We went out to do talks, um, give them presentations and just tell them what we're doing and why we're doing it. Um, and then we have a few more of those lined up and hopefully more school visits as the year goes on. Um, we've also tried to be inclusive uh, in the kind of dissemination that we're doing and the community engagement. So we've had um, members from different, all different kinds of groups. We've had the Cargilline Tidy Towns Committee. Um, they came down for a look and a tour of uh, one of our large sites here as well, um, as well as the Praxis Centre, some of the residents there. They came down um, and we showed them around. So it's just been great engagement from the local people here. Um, we've probably seen a different side to you know wouldn't normally people who wouldn't normally be involved in a road scheme construction and wouldn't see this side to it. So we've been able to to kind of show them around and, and let them know what we're doing. That that's fantastic. And and from from our perspective in the office, we're looking at the the metrics and analytics of the videos um, that we've been putting out to do with with the outreach and. They are getting literally, literally thousands of views, um, and they're very popular. So now, just turning to 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 Ken, um, have you been impressed with the way that that Rubicon Heritage have been approaching this? And as Trish was was saying earlier, it's now part of something you put out in the tender process. It's this outreach and community engagement. So if you just say a little bit more about Transport Infrastructure Ireland and and your views on how this project is going. Well, absolutely. Uh, the Transport Infrastructure and RTI, for short, um, are very keen uh, on ensuring that there's uh, public engagement with, with all our projects, uh, and that's something um, shared by Cork County Council as well. Uh, and we're delighted with the um, uh, with the enthusiasm uh, that uh, Ruth and showed, and 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 the skill set uh, and the technology to uh, to disseminate and share uh, their work uh, that they've been doing to date. Uh, it's been very effective. Um, uh, the the story map, the online story map that uh, we've been produced, um, giving an overview of the scheme as a whole and the archaeological work has been um, uh, extremely uh, useful. It's a very, uh, it's a very good um, uh, way of letting people uh, know what's going on, uh, so they can kind of buy in. Um, but again, this is only very early days. We're just letting people know that this work is ongoing and it's active. Um, and there's, uh, there's plenty more uh, in the pipeline in terms of uh, public dissemination. But we do want uh, like the real value in what we do. There's obviously a lot of investment uh, put into it. Um, but to ensure that there's um, uh, value for public expenditure, uh, the, the, the real value comes from dissemination. Uh, and so the more of that that's done uh, and the wider an audience that uh, we can reach in terms of uh, informing people what we're doing and the importance of what's been found, uh, uh, the better. So um, yeah, it certainly, uh, uh, it, it, the project is certainly well represented uh, so far in terms of uh, uh, you know public outreach and so on. And we do we do encourage uh, groups that might be interested to you know can make contact with uh, Rubicon Heritage Service uh, Limited, and uh, we'd be glad to um, uh, to provide any uh, information and so on, because um, it's very much a a public enterprise really uh, it's uh, you know it's, it's it's part of our national heritage and it's only fitting that uh, it uh, be made public uh, at, uh, at all stages that that's fantastic and um yeah ed, ed really the same question to you just your experience of, of working with rubicon heritage in terms of 
outreach and, and engaging with the with the local communities. Yeah, so uh, I suppose um, outreach has become a big a big thing in archaeology in general in recent years, and uh, it's been nice to see that on this project as well, Rubicon have, have really stepped up to the plate on that and are doing uh, a lot of different things, you know, to get uh, to get the word out onto the street about what's going on in a positive way. So whether it's the Heritage Week last August where Trish gave a talk to um, members of the local community, um, which was a really nice one because we got to engage with people and answer questions afterwards and um, or whether it's the story map or even even internally things like the uh, there's a photo competition for the archaeologists to take part in every month and some of those the winners of some of those have, have kind of been used in publicity uh, shots afterwards and uh, but it's important to to help I suppose give the the whole project the actual road project a bit of, of positive uh, buzz in the area as well because at this early stage in a project like this you know it could be that all the people at a local level see is hedges coming down and trees being cut and it, it can seem like a, neg- a very negative uh, process early on where the you know the goal of a nice new safe road is distant but archaeology is one of the areas where you actually can early on get some positive stories coming out from the project you know and this is a very tangible benefit to to uh, side benefit i suppose if you want to put it that way to a large construction project is that we're, we're getting all this new information about the, the history and archaeology of of this area Thank you very much. And um, so you guys have talked about, you know, such you're, you're halfway sort of through the, the, the process of, of going through the sites at the moment. Um, you've identified, I believe it's 131 areas um, of potential archaeology. Um, that sounds like a lot of sites. Could you just tell us each a little bit about such how such a vast archaeological investigation has been undertaken by your sort of by the various elements involved yourselves and as a as a bodies that are funding it and and, and supervising it. Um, I'll, I'll start with Trish just a little bit about the 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 challenges and you know how how Rubicon have been overcoming them. Um, yeah, so I suppose the scheme itself I think is about twelve point eight kilometers long, so it's it's not a massively long scheme, but there has been very specific challenges from the outset, I suppose. Um, when we were doing our test trenching, it involves moving along the entire length of the road scheme and, and testing um, every field along the way. So there's being a, quite an industrialised area, you're getting a lot of um, services around here, overground and underground, um, power lines and gas mains and water mains and all that kind of stuff. So it was a particular challenge here to avoid all that stuff. Um, so we had to keep everybody safe, but at the same time make sure that we 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 left no stone unturned really for the possibility that there might be hidden archaeology preserved um along the route of the road scheme so we got through that phase pretty well and during our testing then we we identified those 131 areas um and then the, the next stage of work is to come back and strip the topsoil from a, a wider area around each of those um just to confirm that they are archaeology and if they are then exactly what's there and how how big is the area in preparation for the next phase of work which is our actual hand excavation um, so I think um, we moved into our third phase of work um, about six months ago and um, we were kind of about halfway through that now and uh, we have kind of narrowed it down to about 125 areas of, of archaeology as Ken mentioned earlier consolidated into about 35 individual sites so each of those sites then has its own uh, registration number we have to apply to the National Monument Service for that so that, that just ensures that everything is done under the, the terms of the ministerial directions and it's a way then that each site is recorded um, 
and archived and, and preserved for any future researchers or anything like that as well. Um, so yeah, it is the scale of that is pretty big. So as I, I mentioned, we, we stripped about 100,000 square metres, which is quite a lot for a scheme of this length. Um, but I suppose that, uh, they were quite restrained in where they could place a road. Um, so there's quite good fertile ground all the way along the Ringskiddy Peninsula. And because they had a specific aim of providing a road, a safe road from the city to the port, um, they couldn't um, avoid that kind of land. They couldn't, there's no marginal areas down around here. So I think that's why we found uh, quite a lot of archaeology preserved under the deep topsoil. That that's perfect, and and now just a sort of uh, the, the same sort of question really, but from the sort of Ken the, the TII perspective on the challenges that you you guys have overcome and and um, your experience of working with Rubicon Heritage in overcoming those sort of engineering and logistical challenges. Yeah, well, obviously the um, uh, our our part of the work that we have at the moment is part of the advanced works for the project, so. Uh, obviously, we are on a timeline in terms of getting those advanced works done before the main construction uh, commences. Um, so on that basis, like there's a program to work off. Um, so one of the immediate challenges would be to try and um, to get the, the level of investigation needed for a project of scale done, uh, you know, within the, the budget and program. Uh, and that's uh, going very well uh, so far. Um, as Trish uh, points out, there's quite a lot of uh, services in the area, and that did uh, require a lot of uh, uh, close, uh, close attention. Um, but the uh, uh, but the testing has proved very successful and uh, quite thorough, and we work our way through the scheme. Uh, and uh, so the amount of archaeology identified, as I said, is uh, is, is is pleasing from you know where my my archaeologist has. Uh, obviously, from in terms of the road, um, uh, the there's a problem of excavation in terms of having all these fully um, excavated, and uh, that in doing that, we, they're what we call they're, they're preserved by record, um, and that's the uh, that's the, the the challenge to try and get all that body work done uh, in within the program uh, allowed, and um, as I said, we're going to work through that there very well at the moment, um, but that's. Uh, um, that's been the primary challenge that I have ever thought. Thanks so much, Ken. And Ed, really just the, the same question, just your experience of, of working with Rubicon Heritage on the logistical side and the sort of engineering uh, challenge side of things. Yeah, so the I suppose um, in, in recent decades, last 20 years or so, um, archaeology has been kind of brought to the front in these kind of projects so that it's not causing a problem for construction you know and um and that has that's something that works very well in these greenfield sites that road jobs usually represent um this particular scheme has a few unique challenges in that there are so many large services down here because we're in this kind of funny area it's greenfield but it's between the city and the harbor we have some some fairly serious overhead power lines we have some varied uh, services such as gas mains and large water mains things that you wouldn't normally get typically in these kind of jobs. And because of their scale, they're being also um, addressed early on before main construction phase. So what's different here is that uh, the engineers are also trying to arrange for various uh, service diversions and things to, to take place early on, earlier than maybe they usually would. And that, that's presenting unique challenges in terms of the program, really just trying to... to work the archaeology program around that and vice versa so that everything can kind of uh, go on at the same time and 
you know, uh, even though it's advanced works, the archaeology, it's in some cases being front-loaded in particular areas to try and be ahead of very specific um, service diversion work that needs to be carried out. So it, it's kind of a complex jigsaw, this particular uh, project, and, and Rubicon are doing a great job of uh, working with us um, on an ongoing basis because, I mean, literally things sometimes change here uh, on a, almost a weekly basis in terms of what's the next priority. That's fantastic. And just something, this is a question uh, you can decide uh, if all or any of you want to answer it. And with these challenges coming along and with the discoveries you've made archaeologically, has the route had to be modified much in in any way? Um, It's just a genuine open open question. No, the... the, uh, the, the boundary for the scheme is un, is unchanged as the uh, the boundary was given approval. Um, so all these works that uh, uh, Trish and Ed are referring to are just works that are uh, carrying out, being carried out inside the scheme boundary. And on occasion there might be some element of work that's um, done outside that boundary. And in those circumstances, then we look at those on a case by case basis. But but we're working off a game plan um, in terms of the the archaeology within the scheme boundary. Um, and as I said, there's quite a lot of other um, advanced kind of uh, preparation works going on in terms of utilities reversions and so on. So there's a lot of coordination needed to to um, to make sure that that all uh, works uh, seamlessly. Uh, and there's uh, there's a team of resident engineers based in the uh, the uh, the office here in Chambali, and uh, their role is to 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 coordinate all that. Um, and uh, it is part of that team in terms of coordinating the archaeological elements of it. Um, so they've been the biggest challenges really is trying to uh, trying to uh, allow everyone to progress with their work uh, based on their own uh, programs um, and just to dovetail that so it works uh, seamlessly. So um, guys, um, you know, you've, you've described where we are in the process and where we've come from. Can you just give us just a, a short little idea of, of what's coming next? Well, I suppose we'll be on the ground for another while here up until about June and uh, continuing with our excavations. Um, at the same time, then, all our artefacts and samples that we take on the ground are taken back to our main office in Middleton, where we have a processing facility there, and we have a team of technicians who are working there to make sure that all the artefacts are packed um, safely and correctly and that all our samples are processed. Um, following that, then, we'll have a, a phase of post-excavation work, which can almost be as long as the, the field work itself, because there's a lot involved in it. All our materials are sent out to different specialists, for this analysis and then there's a lot of research and desk-based work and uh, a phase of reporting then where that will produce final reports on each of the sites that we've excavated and following on from that then um, the ultimate aim then would be to produce a monograph publication and um, which would be available in a few years time for everybody to to see the results of the, of the work. So thank you all for that. Um, we've had a, I think a really good insight into this the challenges involved but you know, I think from your answers just at the end there, it really is worth it because for what we learn, the community learns, uh, really enriches us um, as a society. So thank you all for giving us your, your time and uh, good luck with the rest of the project. That was, I think that was that was really interesting, particularly at the end, yeah. uh, you know, when you, you got to that level of, you know, these projects are mega projects, huge amounts of money, time, and then, you know, ultimately it comes down to something as small as that tiny piece of quartz or, or rock crystal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was uh, really interesting because we were on site all day, the day that we recorded this interview, and we got to have a look at that piece of quartz and we got to have a look at that site that they were talking about. So to have a first-hand view of all of these things is amazing. And it's why I think this podcast is super important because it gets to 
to talk to those people that are on the ground, to talk to those people that are doing these things every day and these amazing things are being found that um, don't necessarily get spoken about that publicly. Not for a while, anyway. No, that's the thing. And while, you know, everyone involved in this project is, you know, ultimately you want to get to that monograph that you can release to the pub- public. I think the really good thing about this is that there's TII and, and Cork County Council and ourselves are really keen to, as soon as we can get information to the public, we can. And your know, part of that visit today was, was filming. So we've got yeah. some amazing footage um, of one of our experts, um, Shirley, talking about that that quartz or rock crystal fragment and looking at things like the how you can see the moment of when it struck these these bulbs of yeah. percussion um, that, that emanate out and you can see a real moment in time in archaeology. Which brings me on to a good point. If you're enjoying these these podcasts, maybe check us out on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube and have a look at the videos that are being produced about these sites, about these finds and stuff like that and give them a share as well as giving this podcast a share, giving this podcast a follow, a like, a subscribe, leave us a rating and a review if you're enjoying it and tell your friends about it. And it just remains for me to say thank you very much. We really appreciate your listening. You know there's lots of other podcasts you can listen to but we're really thankful that you, you listen to this one. Thank you.